is from 1 Kings, chapter 19, verses 1 through 12. You can find this in page 284 in the Pew Bible. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. He got up and fled for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. He left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Get up and eat. He looked, and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him, and said, Get up and eat, otherwise the journey will be too much for you. He got up and ate and drank. Then he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. At that place he came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. He said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. On the mountain, in the valley, in the crowded streets, or the empty desert, in our hope, and in our waiting, we are never alone. I know it is not perhaps something you would expect to hear a pastor say, but I find we benefit when we tell each other the truth. I love God, but there are some times in my life that I don't like God very much. Some of you might say, well, pastor, you're not, you're not supposed to say that out loud. But it's very, very possible to love something and Maybe not like it for a season. Raise your hand if you're married. (laughs) 
You know what the Bible says happens to us? If, if we are faithful and fruitful followers of Jesus Christ, you know what the Bible says will happen? It says that God will prune us. I am the vine, my father is the gardener. Those who bear much fruit, he will prune. If you're faithful to God, what lies in store for you is you will get pruned. That's a fancy word for cut. <laughs> to be pruned is not comfortable. Even though it prepares us to be more fruitful in the future. Last week we began the series, God With Us, by talking about the way in which God is with us in the midst of the valley, in those dark, difficult, hard seasons of our lives, that God is with us. Today we are turning our attention from the valley to talk about the way God is with us in the wilderness. In those seasons in our lives where we are being pruned and prepared. The wilderness is not always a comfortable experience. It is often a time of waiting and anticipation. It can be filled with exhaustion and restlessness. And while that may not sound like fun, like every other gift that God has given to us in time, the wilderness becomes a blessing. So over the course of the next few moments, we want to talk about when we experience wilderness and what happens in the midst of that wilderness experience as we come to understand that God is with us in the midst of it. So the wilderness time, this time of pruning, is uh, taking place for the prophet Elijah. And we read his story, part of his story this morning. So let's look uh, look at that. If you've got a Bible, I want to invite you to turn your Bibles with me to, to 1 Kings chapter 19. And uh, if you didn't bring your Bible, there are a few Bibles where you can follow along on the screens as we read the Scriptures. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1 says this. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. And how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Now, let's put a little context to this, because otherwise it can make Elijah sound like a bad guy. In 1 Kings chapter 18, this is chapter 19, but in chapter 18, Elijah had an encounter with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Carmel. Or if you, if you grew up in the south like I did, it's pronounced caramel, right? On Mount Caramel, where Elijah met the prophets of Baal. 450 of them against Elijah. Elijah challenged these prophets to to a, a duel of sorts. A my God versus your God kind of thing. Both the prophets of Baal and Elijah made these altars out of wood. And, and the goal was to see whose God could consume the altar with fire first. So Elijah let the prophets of Baal have the first crack at it. They developed their altar, they prayed, they prayed, they prayed, nothing happened because, you know, Baal doesn't exist. And then, it was Elijah's turn. And Elijah, before he begins to pray, Elijah orders that buckets of water be dumped on top of his altar. And then he prays, and the Bible tells us in in 1 Kings chapter 18 that God sent a fire that not only consumed the altar, but it consumed the stones upon which the altar was built, all the dust that surrounded the altar, and the water that had been poured on top of it. 
And once the people of Israel saw what happened, it was in fact the people of Israel who then slaughtered all the prophets of Baal for misleading God's people. That's what happened in chapter 18. Now we're in chapter 19. King Ahab is telling Queen Jezebel about what occurred. And uh, Queen Jezebel says in chapter 19, verse 2, Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I don't make your life like one of them by this time tomorrow. What's she saying? She's saying, just like you killed the prophets of Baal, I hope I'm going to get killed unless I kill you. She's threatening Elijah. In verse 3 it says, Then he was afraid. He got up and fled for his life. And he came to Beersheba, which by the way, isn't like he went to the next town over or hid behind the shed. Beersheba was a hundred miles away from where Elijah had been. He came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. He left his servant there, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. The wilderness. Here's the first thing I think we need to understand about the wilderness, and it's the when. When do we expect to experience a wilderness Well, the truth is that wilderness follows a predictable pattern. The wilderness almost always comes after a mountaintop experience. Think about it. Elijah had just conquered the prophets of Baal. It was a tremendous, tremendous victory. So tremendous that here we are literally 3,000 years later still talking about the story. It was an epic victory. What comes next? Elijah finds himself in the wilderness. But it's not just Elijah's story that happens this way. If you think to the most famous story of wilderness in the entire Bible, you go back to the Exodus. God's people spent 40 years in the wilderness. Do you remember what happened right before they went into the wilderness? Right before they went into the wilderness, they had a tremendous mountaintop experience. God had given them the Ten Commandments, but before that... Even before that, they had this tremendous experience where they were set free. God God gave them the gift of liberty and freedom. And then, as if to add another beautiful valence to it, God's people were led through the Red Sea on dry land. They turned around and they watched as those who had persecuted them for generations were destroyed. It was a tremendous mountaintop moment for the people of Israel. And what comes next... The wilderness. Same thing happens with Jesus, by the way. Jesus spends 40 days in the wilderness. What happens immediately prior to Jesus going into the wilderness? A mountaintop experience. Jesus goes for his baptism. And the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 3 that the heavens open and a dove descends the Holy Spirit. And a voice comes from the heavens saying, Behold my beloved Son in whom I find great pleasure. It was a beautiful moment, a mountaintop moment for Jesus. And then he finds himself in the wilderness. The mountaintop, oftentimes in our lives, gives way to the wilderness. And it happens for us as well. After we graduate from high school or head off to college, into the workforce, into the military, after a big promotion, we will often find ourselves in the wilderness. In fact, here's how we could understand the wilderness. The wilderness is a place of dissatisfaction which follows us getting what we want. 
I get what I want, and then I find myself dissatisfied. The wilderness is the place of dissatisfaction that comes after I get the thing that I want. I always wanted this job. I wanted this career. I wanted my kids to go to college. I wanted to retire. Now I'm finally here. I've reached the mountaintop, and I'm not satisfied. That's the pattern. When do we expect wilderness? Oftentimes, wilderness comes after the mountaintop. When the thing we thought was going to satisfy us doesn't satisfy us. That's when does the wilderness come. Now, let's talk about what is it that actually happens to us in the midst of the wilderness. Let's look at verse 5. Elijah's just gone in the wilderness and the Bible says, Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. And suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Get up and eat! He looked, and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. It sounds like my entire high school career. <laughs> Wake up, it's time to eat. Then I go back to sleep, right? Some of you have teenagers, you know what this feels like. That's what Elijah was doing. Elijah was, was exhausted. This is, this is the first thing. This is the first real tangible piece to understand about what truly occurs in the wilderness church. Oftentimes in the wilderness, God leads us to the wilderness because we ourselves are depleted. God leads us to the wilderness because we're depleted. I don't mean tired. Tired can be fixed with a nap, right? Tired can be fixed with a couple of days off. I'm not talking about tired. I'm talking about depleted. What's the difference? Tired you can fix with a nap, but depleted can only be remedied by an encounter with the living God. My guess is there are a number of people in this room who feel depleted, who have given and given and given. You have worked and you have worked and you have worked and you've had some mountaintop experiences, but you feel weary, more than weary, more than tired. You feel depleted. Do you remember the story of Mary and Martha? What a great story that the Bible gives to us. Jesus has gone to the home of Mary and her sister Martha, and Jesus is in the living room and he's teaching, and Martha is in the kitchen preparing lunch. But Mary is in the living room sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to him. It's a, it's a great story. And, and so Martha comes to Jesus, and she says to him, Hey, you need to tell Mary to stop sitting at your feet and get up and help me in the kitchen. There's work to be done. And I love the way Jesus responds. Jesus says, Martha, you are distracted by many things, but only one thing is needed. Martha, you are distracted by many things, but only one thing is needed. Only one thing truly matters, and Mary picked it. Martha was distracted by all of these things in life that just don't matter. She was so distracted that the creator of the universe was standing in her living room, and she was worried about getting her chores done. Am I crazy, or is this what all of us feel like during the month of December? Hey, Jesus came. 
That's great. Did you order the presents off Amazon? (laughs) You know what happens when we're distracted by multiple things over a long period of time? We become depleted. Our souls become worn out. And the only way to fix depletion is in an encounter with God. Sometimes the reason that God leads us into the wilderness is to help divest us of our distractions. So Jesus can say to all of the Marthas and Sides, by the way, every time I hear somebody mention the story of Mary and Martha, I always hang my head a little bit. I feel guilty because I feel like a Martha. Anybody else feel that way? Anybody? All right, well, I appreciate those seven of you who were honest with me just now. I know more of you feel like Martha because the truth is there's a Martha inside every one of us who gets distracted. There's a Martha inside every one of us who will replace an experience with the living God with doing stuff. That exists. All of us are susceptible to that. And Jesus interrupts their lives and says there's only one thing that matters. And Mary chose it. She chose to sit at my feet. My brothers and sisters, part of the reason God takes us into the wilderness is to help us understand that we have been distracted by many things and that distraction has led to our depletion. And so, God says to us, only one thing matters. It is in the wilderness that we find focus. It's in the wilderness we find renewal. (laughs) Jesus is in Martha's living room and she missed it because of her to-do list. We are distracted, depleted. We miss God's blessing and so God takes us to the wilderness to have an encounter. But that's not the only reason that the wilderness exists. There's something else really, really important that happens in this wilderness season. We look with me in chapter 19, verse 11. God said to Elijah, Go out and stand on the mountain. Before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire was the sound of sheer silence. This is one of the more famous texts in the book of Kings. Pastors and theologians have a great time with this text because there are so many pieces to it. There are so many ways that it reveals God to us. But I just want to focus on one part of this text. Part of the reason that God takes us into the wilderness is that like Elijah, there can be times where we can't seem to find God anymore. Elijah was looking for God all around him. He couldn't see God anywhere. That's the great irony here. Who is the one in the last chapter who actually defeated the prophets of Baal? Was it Elijah? No. God was with Elijah on Mount Carmel. Caramel. Who's the one that led Elijah into the wilderness and and made him dinner? 
The Lord was. It was God. Who's the one who took him out to the, the mountain pass? God. The, the irony, the real problem is, it's not that God wasn't there with Elijah, it's that Elijah couldn't see God anymore. That's part of the reason God takes us to the wilderness. In the wilderness, we start to hear the voice of God again. In fact, I'm not kidding, this is just perfect. That's what the word wilderness means. The Hebrew word for wilderness is the word midbar. And it means to speak. It's in the wilderness that we finally hear God speak to us again. So after the mountain, God leads us into the wilderness. Why? Oftentimes it's because we've become so distracted that we've become depleted and we need restoration and renewal. Oftentimes it's because we can't hear God's voice anymore. Let me tell you my own wilderness story. I pretty unabashedly brag about Ebenezer Church. In fact, I had a meeting this past week with our bishop for two days. And um, at one point she said, Rob, how is Ebenezer? And about ten minutes later she looked at me as if to say, you can stop talking now. I, uh, I realized something this week that I had never realized before. Did you know that Ebenezer averages over $10,000 a week in giving to stuff outside of our congregation? I mean, local, regional, national, and international mission, we over $10,000 every single week. Can the church say amen? Right? I'm not, yeah, praise the Lord, right? And, and I know me, and I know some of you, and it's not because we're perfect, right? God is the one who gets the glory for the work that happens here in the church. Last year we packed 75,000 meals for Rise Against Hunger. Next year we're gonna do 100,000 of them. That's, that's a beautiful thing. We have a, a mission team right this moment in Guatemala. I mean, I'm just, there are all these things that, it, that I, I get so excited about here at Ebenezer Church, rightfully so. So you can imagine what it was like when, when I got the call that I was going to be the new pastor here. It was a mountaintop experience. Who wouldn't want to be the pastor of Ebenezer Church? But mountaintops are also often followed by wildernesses. And I got, I got here and, and started to meet you and realized there sure are a lot of you. <laughs> and a lot to be done. It's almost, it's almost terrifying. Some of you know what this is like. It's almost terrifying to be one of the, ma- the leaders of a, of a large organization because there's so much potential, so much good you can do. And so, I remember being here in those first few months and trying to build those relationships and then trying to work with you to develop direction and and vision and then start to, to move towards alignment. All of those things that that all of you who are leaders know, you know all about this stuff. And and it, it's beautiful, but it's exhausting. Amen? Add to that the fact that the church in the United States has been in decline for the last 70 years. There are external factors. And I just, I found myself exhausted. 
And the hardest thing for me to admit to you, I found it harder sometimes to hear the voice of God. And that's a terrifying thing for anybody, especially for a pastor. (laughs) This isn't my resignation, and I'm not complaining. (laughs) I just want you to know we all spend time in the wilderness. We all spend time in the wilderness and it's a gift from God. God takes us there to restore us. God takes us there to help us hear God's voice again. But but here's the most amazing thing about the wilderness. You've got to hear this part. I mentioned that the wilderness follows a pattern. It starts at the mountain and then it leads into the wilderness. But let me tell you what comes next. Let's go back to that story of the Exodus. You remember they started the mountaintop experience. The people of the Exodus were set free by the living God. They came through the Red Sea. And then they spent 40 years in the wilderness. But you know what comes next? After 40 years in the wilderness, the people of God inhabited a land flowing with milk and honey. The people of God... After the wilderness, the people of God fulfilled the promise of God. That's the thing we have to understand about the wilderness. Yes, it is preceded by the mountain and then we go into the wilderness, but it is succeeded. What comes next is a time of fulfillment. You know what happened in Elijah's time? Right after the wilderness experience... God says to Elijah, Elijah, I need you to go back to Israel. And he sent him with two purposes. First, Elijah, I need you to go back to Israel and I need you to anoint a new king. Because Ahab and Jezebel have been unfaithful. Their time is over and you're going to be part of the dawn of a new day in the nation of Israel. But that's not all God said. One of the things Elijah had done is he had had complained that he felt lonely And so God said, and and while you are going forth to anoint this new king, I want you to go and commission a new partner, a fellow prophet, one to succeed you. His name, Elijah, his name shall be Elisha. The mountain was followed by the wilderness, but after the wilderness came the time of fulfillment. The same thing happens with Jesus. Jesus has this wonderful mountaintop experience. This is my beloved son in whom I find great pleasure. Then he spends 40 days in the wilderness and after that he fulfills the promise that God has made to save the earth. After the wilderness comes the season of fulfillment. The pattern is predictable. From the mountain we enter the wilderness for God to replenish our souls Help us hear his voice again. And it is here in the wilderness that God prunes us and prepares us for the season of fulfillment. All right. I'm going to step away from my notes. I just want to make sure you understand this. I want to make sure we're picking this up. That there really is, there's a predictable pattern. We see it all throughout the Bible. Our mountaintop experiences are followed by the wilderness. And the wilderness is followed by the season of fulfillment. But while we're in the wilderness, God primarily does two things. God restores us. And God helps us hear His voice again. And it's not fun. It's not fun to go into the wilderness, but it is there that we find renewal. 
It's in the season that our distractions tend to melt away. We find ourselves reconnected with God and recommitted to our call. This season that we're in right now, the season of Advent, is a time in which we prepare for Christmas and it is in some respects a self-imposed wilderness period. It's in this time that we ask God once more to show us the things that have been distracting us and that have been depleting us. And so I just just once again want to say, I, I imagine there are some people in this room who feel depleted, who feel distracted, who maybe feel like you can't hear God's voice anymore. So I wanted you to understand the process of how God restores us. I want you to understand that the wilderness, though not always fun, is a blessing. And my hope is, as you go through this season of Advent, as we walk through it together, we will remember that it is a blessing and that we are not alone. Because even in the wilderness, God is with us. Would you pray with me? Holy God, I thank you for these beautiful people, your people. There's so much of Martha and she's much maligned who wants to do good in every one of us. So much that wants to do good and yet sometimes we forget that the one thing we need, we truly, truly need is to sit at your feet. To let you restore us and renew us. To help us hear your voice again in our lives. And I pray that in this season of Advent, this season of, of waiting and preparation, that once again we would find restoration. And that we would hear your voice again. Thank you for the wilderness times in our lives. Thank you for what you do in those times. But most of all, thank you that even in the wilderness, your name is Emmanuel that now and forever you are God with us. Bless us, we pray, that we could go forth and be a blessing to others in the name and to the glory of Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen.